At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. In this expert talk, I'm interviewing Melissa Sassi from across the pond. She's actually an ex-Microsoftie turned IBMer who brings passion and purpose to the tech industry with her belief that digital literacy is a human right. Right, Mel, it's good to see you again. So you've been all over the shop. You're, you're in Barcelona now. What You've been, uh, you're like, uh, I don't know what the hell you're doing. You're all over the place. I'm, I feel tired just watching what you've been doing, and I'm 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 in my studio here, so <laughs> it's, it's it's both my blessing and my curse. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm talking to you from Soho House in uh, in Barcelona, and uh, I I will say that I do have a glass of wine in front of me. So if you see me partaking every once in a while, don't be surprised. Well, I wouldn't worry. I just went down to the pound shop to buy some lightning cables for my phone. Right because the last one stopped working, yeah? Mm-hmm. And like, so I woke up on Monday morning, my iPhone's down to like 25% battery, yeah? Got no cable, yeah? I'm so busy, I don't wanna go out. And, and I was like, is my iPhone broken? Is it not, is it the cable? So I was just like freaking out. And, uh, and I literally just went down there. And my, my friend Eric, he's got like 20 cables. He's like, look, just It's buy the story four. of my life. It's the story of my life. Just like the reason why I got this great idea to replace my headphones that <laughs> I lost on a plane a while back. And unfortunately, the microphone, it doesn't work if it's hanging normally. So I've, I've come up with this like spacecraft thing that allows me to still keep these headphones and not take them back and still use them. So that's why I kind of look like a, a spaceship pilot right now. Well, I won't worry. I'm in my casuals today. You know, it's an, it's an office day. And this is so we're here to talk about really digital inclusion. Yeah. To, you know, I know that's like a massive topic. And, you know, you know, more than anyone else that I know about uh, that I know uh, about this topic. So tell me, tell me about it. Yeah, so I've spent the last few days um, on what I would say some really interesting, you know, participating in some really interesting talk tracks. So I'm here in Barcelona, and I led a a talk uh, yesterday, so on Monday, uh, on um, what is digital inclusion. So I spent the last two years working on a literature review. So I know that's quite an academic term, but I've essentially combed the internet and combed uh, journals, uh, academic journals on the definition of digital skills, the definition of digital intelligence, of life skills, and trying to figure out, you know, what is the definition of digital literacy? And if there is a common definition, um, if you think about it and you go out to any dictionary, you go to UNESCO, you're going to find a, a common definition of literacy. And we know that what that is, we measure it, we track it. But if you think about it, there isn't one 
for digital literacy. There are many. Uh, UNESCO, as a matter of fact, has two that they've adopted, um, whereas literacy has one. And if you think about it, how do you measure progress against something if you, if you can't define it and you don't have a commonly agreed framework? In terms of frameworks, uh, even UNESCO has a couple. Uh, there are many, many organizations out there that follow a multitude of different frameworks for digital skills. And what I mean by that is think about it as a competency wheel or um, a, a series of uh, competencies from basic digital literacy, such as managing your online footprint, uh, media literacy, um, think about it as internet safety or privacy all the way through to more advanced applications of digital skills, such as computational thinking or problem solving or productivity tools, whether that's you know, using you know, Microsoft Office or um, you know, Google products or any other products that help you be more you know, productive, either in the classroom or as a teacher or as a, a, a professional, all the way through to you know, building mobile applications or IoT. Um, and, and the reason I say this is if you think about the sustainable development goals. So the UN put forth 17 global goals and uh, the idea is solve all of that and we are essentially alleviating the wickedest problems in the world such as extreme poverty or hunger or gender inclusion, uh, quality education, um, infrastructure, all of that kind of stuff. Why does this matter? 50% of the world is not online and it proportionally or it exponentially impacts women and girls, indigenous communities, you know, people with accessibility needs. And how can we measure progress if we can't find something? 50%, it's a big, it's a big number, isn't it? It's a so, huge number. Yeah, it's huge, it's huge. So I know you're involved with a charity that's doing a lot within schools. So that's within, within uh, uh, Africa, right? So I have my own nonprofit um, that I fund with my salary. It's called Mentor Nations. Uh, we teach young people and it's all youth led and student led. So it's not just about, you know, me or someone like me teaching digital skills. It's taking uh, young, uh, young engineers or young computer scientists who are still in university sharing their skills forward. Um, we have teams of people in North Africa, so in Tunisia, in uh, Bangladesh, and uh, also in uh, Pakistan. So it goes beyond uh, Africa. I've got other people in other parts of the world, but the idea is how do you empower young people through technology to um, become entrepreneurs and to start their own companies by having skills in mobile application development or just basic digital literacy. I'm also involved in a Pakistani uh, nonprofit that uses um, uh, these Raspberry Pi-like devices. We cache content and we teach out of school kids. So imagine you've got 125 or so million kids outside of the school system. And imagine empowering those kids by, by working within the confines of culture and you know enabling them to learn to read write and use computers in you know really interesting and innovative ways it's it's, it's life-changing completely life-changing yeah it, uh it, mu it must be so rewarding to actually to actually see that because i know when you're at microsoft you kind of delivered loads of computers mm -hmm. to, to these to these classrooms right and that the, the sort of feel good factor that goes with that must be just absolutely brilliant for sure. Honestly, I think it's like um, 
I think partly it keeps me out of trouble as a, as a human. And it also um, just gives me something bigger to believe in and something bigger to do than just, you know, my job or my career or, you know, going and having a drink with my friends. It um, is something that is, you know, hopefully changing the world and, you know, people's lives along with it. Purpose. Yeah, it gives you purpose, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm very thankful that I work um, in a, a company and with a team that um, understands that you have your career and you have your purpose and you shouldn't have to choose between your career, your family and your purpose. You can have all of those things, you know, together at once and, you know, still excel in your career and still continue to advance without having to trade, without having to trade things off. Yeah. Yeah. They're a good company. I mean, I was talking about them the other day. They're, they're, they're probably, I think they're probably the oldest tech company that's alive. <laughs> I think all the others are like less than 20 years, aren't they? Yeah. So we're talking about IBM for, for those yeah. of you who are following along. Um, I just joined IBM on uh, the 2nd of January. So I think as in, you know, any job, it takes some time to figure out, well, gosh, what the heck is my job and what am yeah. I supposed to be doing? And how do I not just, you know, follow what is on my job description, but what more can I do to um, not, not just make my mark, but um, also go beyond what my you know, leadership team might think success looks like, but create our own paths. Uh, right. That's something I'm, I'm pretty you know, excited about in my new role. Yeah. So what have you been talking about then? You've been to the, have you been to the UN? Yeah. Yeah. So what, have you been last talking week, about something? Yeah, so last week was a pretty whirlwind week for me. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to attend a, a blockchain summit that IBM's blockchain team and our uh, IBM Ventures team uh, put on. And what I really loved about that program is they selected um, a couple handfuls, I think it was like 10 or 12, something like that, startups that are um, in the blockchain world. So imagine choosing, you know, still, you know, startups, but startups that have paying customers, they have, you know, active blockchain solutions in the market, whether that's, you know, fashion or sports or advertising, really doing interesting things that actually have blockchain applications. But what I loved most about the program was seeing them taking um, these startups and thinking about what do those startups actually need in terms of acceleration, but not just, um, selling IBM products or uh, thinking about how do, how do we get them onto our platform. I mean, naturally, that's something as a, an employee of whatever company you work you know, at or with, whether that's yeah. you know, AWS or Microsoft Azure or Google or IBM, you know, getting them into your ecosystem. But it wasn't so much a, a sales play. It was more about how do we come together? How do we do true thought leadership versus how do we sell to you? And I think the impact of that was seeing these startups really, you know, recognizing IBM as a thought leader and wanting to partner versus it being shoved down your throat. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the problem, isn't it? With a lot of companies, they just push you to do all sorts of things. It's uh, and a lot of people as well are like that, aren't they? But but no, I mean, I think blockchain certainly has the power to transform uh, a lot of the world. I mean, it, it, you know, if you if you if you introduce that into like the payment gateways and the payment solutions, and then and then you know, it's all linked to innovation, isn't it? I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can help people to become included, 
have digital inclusion, understand how things work, then they can partner themselves with coders, they can create companies, and then they can actually use blockchain to get paid. And then they, and, and it's going to improve the whole world so that, so that in essence, everyone will, will have a stake and they will get paid. I mean, that's my ideal vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the reality of that is at the moment very different purely because you know, the ethics of business in general are let's make money. That's, that's, that's what a business is for. Right. Well, I, I, well, I, would, dis- I would disagree a little bit to be honest. Really? I think, yeah, I would. Um, and I, I take, you know, Larry, Larry Fink's most recent letter to CEOs and shareholders of saying that, you know, businesses are not just there to make money. They require, you know, a social impact and a social cause. And okay. it is good business. It's not just about how do you turn on profit? How do you retain your people? I think um, nowadays, so many employees are not just ready to support a, you know, profit generating engine. They want to also make the world a better place and feel that there's purpose involved along with making money. I mean, we all, you know, come to work to make sure that yeah. we can pay our bills and do all of that. But we also want to feel good about it and feel like we're making a difference with something, whether it's our own cause that we believe in or something bigger than that. Right. So you, is that the sort of recent change in corporate social responsibility, purely purely due to the fact that actually people are becoming wise to the fact that that's what a business should really be? So they've had to change and actually include that in their policies, really. Let's, let's yeah. be real about it. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's a lot of academic research that came, you know, well before many companies, you know, you know, saw this or, you know, I think if you think about Larry Fink uh, from BlackRock, just, you know, making this announcement, you know, the first letter to shareholders or CEOs, I can't remember what the letter was called, was last year and then he did the second one this year. So I think it's a relatively new thing seeing, you know, a large you know, uh, asset management company like BlackRock, which has trillions of dollars, you know, under management coming and taking the stance. But for those of us who, you know, got MBAs years ago, you know, I remember, you know, reading about conscious capitalism and it wasn't something that I really saw part of my everyday until the last, you know, few years. It started when I joined Microsoft, frankly, and I'm glad that it's still carried with me now that I'm with IBM. Right, right. It's certainly, it's certainly, an interesting place. I mean, I think, I think looking, looking at the sort of the picture of what's actually going on with, you know, poverty and people are hungry and and this kind of stuff. I think the, the problem that we face is actually making sure people don't just use AI just to replace workers, just to fuel shareholder uh, value. Right. And then we lose the economy altogether. I mean, that's the danger of of computers, right? And using technology to the to the extremes of what machine learning can do, isn't it? Well, and I think that's why you see, you know, large companies like IBM, Microsoft, and others, you know, coming up with, you know, AI training or coming up with uh, white papers or perspectives on you know, bias in AI and, you know, how do we make sure that we understand our unconscious bias and how does that come into play as we're thinking about the role that either machine learning or artificial intelligence or, you know, whatever, you know, comes into play. Um, I think one of the things that you mentioned in the very beginning, and I kind of went off onto and, you know, blockchain summit tangent was what was I doing at the, at the UN this week or last week? And, 
it was a really great round table. It was standing room only. Um, so we filled up all the seats, which I was really excited about. Um, the ambassador, so her, her excellency from um, Montenegro spoke and she, you know, kicked off our event. It was really exciting to hear, you know, someone who's got their PhD in telecommunications, someone who was a telecommunications regulator and is now the um, uh, ambassador uh, to the UN from Montenegro kick off and really talk about, first off, what does digital inclusion mean to her and why is it important in her country and in her role? Um, we had um, a couple of individuals um, from Microsoft, so Lydia Karun, who's part of um, Microsoft Airband Initiative, which is a team that goes out and gets people connected to affordable energy, energy and, uh, and internet access. And then we had Donna Sucker, who um, heads up the Windows Insider team. She's just an amazing entrepreneur. Oh yeah, individual. You've, you've introduced me to her. I'm speaking to her yeah. and uh, and her her uh, associate. Uh, I think it's Jeremiah. The, Jeremiah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's this week actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking to them uh, in a couple of days, so that'll Good. be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking so forward they, to that. They were part of it. We had um, a, a woman from UNESCO, uh, a gentleman from uh, from UNICEF. We had a woman named Perry who's responsible for. Um, a really amazing nonprofit called um, called uh, Stop Cyberbullying. She brought two of her teen angels. So we had um, two teenagers, um, one 14 and one 17, talking about you know internet inclusion and what it means for them and why it's important. Wow. I kicked off by talking about a personal story of why uh, digital inclusion is important to me. Um, so for me, I'm my uh, me and my my children are victims of uh, parental kidnapping. My children are safe. They're um, they're healthy. They're adjusted little little humans. Uh, they're 17, 14, and 12. Uh, they live in North Africa. And for me, um, being a mother, it means internet access, and it means being able to um, talk and chat and have access to my kids from from afar. And I know that seems a little bit foreign for people who have traditional you know traditional lives with their with their children or with their parents. Um, but for me, digital inclusion means my kids being able to access the internet and then being able to use the internet in a meaningful way and me being able to reach them. And it got me to a point of thinking about, well, this is what it means to me. What does it mean to other people from around the world? And how can I help make sure that my kids are not the only ones who are um, empowered by technology, but how can I take... Um, the lives and the dreams of other kids or other people from around the world and empower them with the access skills and utilization of technology that helps them thrive in their own communities. Uh, we talked a lot about digital skills. Um, we talked a lot about just really, you know, kind of raw emotion, you know, when it comes to cyberbullying. Um, but for me, it, I don't know, it gave me a an opportunity to share my personal story, but also some recommendations that I have for the UN. That's fantastic. So what what sort of skills are we actually talking about from from the ground up, like from the basic people like me? I'm quite basic, right? You know, I wouldn't I say you're quite. I wouldn't no, say I, I am. I don't. All right. I might type fast, but I don't I, I don't code. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can use programs. Right. And I'm kind of, you know, in harmony. Right. Let's say I'm in harmony with with what's going on. Thankfully, I've got a buddy who's a really good, he's, he's, he's like been hosting loads of websites for like 20 plus years. He's got one of the most old, one of the oldest hosting businesses in, in Europe. Yeah. So he manages, 
he manages all my data. Like he built me my machine and like, he's like, right, you need this program, you need that program, you need this processor. And so he, you know, he yeah. built it all. And like, I've got like backups for this and that. And you know, like it's, it's, it's on another level to me. I can't even, I don't even know how to run a backup. Yeah. Seriously, if my backup does not run, I'm not joking. If my backup does not run, yeah, I look at the backup program. I look at it every day and I'm, and I'm still, for five days, I've still been trying to work out how on earth to run a backup, yeah? Well, I think but it's, a, I think it's okay. a fallacy. I think it's a fallacy to think like everybody's going to be an engineer or everybody's going to learn to code because right. not everybody even cares about learning to code and right. not everybody is equipped to this with the skills, you know, to be able to learn to code. But I, I see it as a wheel. Um, I see it as a wheel of competencies. There are three models that I, I personally like. There's Digicom, that's from uh, that's from Europe. Um, that one I think is really interesting, and they've got like seven, ten different you know competencies. And then there is a really interesting model outside of uh, from Denmark. I can't remember the name of the of the model, but it's essentially a framework as well. And then there's one from the DQ Institute. Those are my three favorites. There mm -hmm. are tons of other ones out there. Those are my three favorites. Um, and I would see it as there are basic skills such as, you know, turning on your device, turning off your device, being able to collaborate with others online, being able to see through um, media literacy or see through fake news, know what to share, what not to share, okay. you know, security, privacy, and also see it as like um, a, almost like a lever that you move from, you know, more advanced skills to more um, basic skills. And, you know, again, not everybody's going to be an engineer. And so you've got like security, for example, how do I keep myself safe by, you know, setting up strong passwords and how do I make sure I'm not giving out my passwords to others all yeah. the way through to someone who might be a true infosec or info security or GDPR, you know, expert. Um, so again, I'd see it as a wheel from like, basic stuff such as do I yeah. know how to turn on my computer do I know how to set up a safe password and not share it with the world all the way through to you know computational thinking and problem solving such as actually creating websites or actually creating okay. um, mobile applications and again not everybody's gonna create mobile applications but I think that people should be exposed to computer science and I think they should see it as a language just like you know, French is a language or Spanish is a language. Mm -hmm. We should see, you know, computer science as a language and not something, uh, something different than that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my dad, he's 80, 85. Yeah. 86. Yeah, your dad, yeah. It, it may not make sense to teach your dad to code. Oh no. My dad doesn't want to code. Yeah. Oh, my dad doesn't to... want to code either. No, no, no. But like, I mean, I got, my mum called me last night. She, she's 70, 76, yeah, 70, yeah, 76. She said, oh, Nathaniel, I can't, I can't manage to uh, send you an email. I'm like, but mum, like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. And she's like, well, I, I don't know how. I've, I, and she, she's, she forgot, because she was mm -hmm. tired. She's actually forgotten, but she's yeah. been sending me emails every day. And it's, yeah. because, it's because Apple updated their email software, I think. Mm -hmm. And she's updated the app, right? and on her iPad and it's confused her, but so she can't find my name in there and send me an email, right? Ah, okay. So, so I'm like, oh no, is she like losing her mind or something? But she's yeah. not, she just doesn't, but it's like my dad, he really wants to learn, yeah? yeah. So 
do you think he should go to Apple and they can teach him? What's the best thing? Because he's an Apple guy, yeah? He's got, yeah. A, he's got a Mac. Uh, he needs to get a, a, get a phone. He needs yeah. to get a new, a new iPhone. I think, there, I think there are a few different, you know, few different avenues that, you know, that, you know, let's say seniors. Let's talk about the elderly, elderly yeah. for now. And I know this is something that the ITU, so the IT branch of the UN is really uh, interested in. And I was just okay. at the UN last week and they were mentioning how they are kicking off a project to really look at the digital inclusion of seniors. And how do we make sure that uh, the older generation is um, equipped with the, you know, competencies and skills and places to go. Like, where do you go? Um, I, you know, whether you're a, you know, Microsoft user, a Google user, or, you know, Apple user, or whatever you are, I think there are some really interesting avenues in person for someone who really needs someone in person to tell them versus finding a tutorial online. Some of us, it might make sense for us to just, you know, Google or Bing, um, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. we're looking for and find a video and follow Bing. along. Some people, yeah, Bing. it's there. Bing. <laughs> who uses I, Bing? <laughs> I, came, I came from Microsoft. So I, I, I don't want to. I'm kidding. I use a Microsoft that. machine, yeah, but I, I, I even, I even forgot about Bing. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I just did my SEO on my website and added it to Bing like two months ago, and I was like, yeah. oh, I'm getting some traffic from Bing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think that's one way for some people who feel more comfortable online. Okay. For others, you know, it might be going to the, you know, going, to, if you're in the US, going to Best Buy's, you know, Best Buy or going to, you know, Apple. I know for me, sometimes when I can't figure something out, because I've got an iPhone, I'll go to the Apple store and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do, or making an appointment for someone right. with someone and going there. I think that's another opportunity. I think there's also the opportunity, you know, if you're a Microsoft user, going to the Microsoft store and just telling them what you've got going on. You know, I also think that there's a lot of power in, you know, working with um, people who are in university and finding, and I know sometimes that might be a little bit hard to find, you know, somebody who's studying computer science or somebody who's, you know, more technical than, than you. But a lot of times when I need something done and I can't figure it out on, on my own, I'll ask a friend, you know, I'll sometimes go onto Facebook and say, hey, I'm right. trying to do this. Or, you know, um, I know a lot of the elderly are on Facebook now, you know, um, and, you know, using it in a, in a way to keep up with, uh, with with their kids or their grandkids or whatever. See, thing is, my dad, he's fully aware, yeah, of what these platforms do to people, yeah? He's been watching the behaviours, okay? So he's got a lady friend, he's, 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 you know, goes to stay with every year or something, every six months. And he, and he basically has watched whilst her and her kids have been totally consumed with their screens at the dinner Aren't table. Aren't we all? Aren't yeah, we but all? not at the dinner table, we're not. No, I consider that quite rude, actually. I, if I'm with my dad, yeah, I will make a point of putting my phone away, yeah? There's no way I'm going to sit there on my telephone and talk to my dad whilst I'm on my telephone. I consider that really bad manners. Yeah. For me, it depends and, on what's going on. Of course. There, there may be some times where like, I've got a really important work deliverable. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I have to stay close to my phone because yeah. like people need me and are counting on me. And, and for me to say, I'm, I'm, I'm chilling at dinner. I'm having a glass of wine or I'm out, you know, it, it might not fly. I mean, now if you're, you know, and I'm, I, I'm someone who remains very, very connected all the time. And I'm personally trying to get better about my screen time. Yeah. And, you know, it's a struggle because a lot of, you know, I, 
you know, work in tech. I don't, I'm not always home. You know, I, um, like now, for example, I'm in Barcelona. Yeah, my, yeah. Boss, my boss is in California. And yeah. for me, if, if she needs something for me, I want her to be able to reach me, whether I'm sitting here having a glass of wine at Soho House or yeah. you know, I'm, I'm anywhere else. She needs to be able to reach me if she needs something. I've interviewed someone called Mike Tobin, OBE, like three times on, on my show. He's a lovely chap. I went to meet him in London and stuff. And he's like, look, I have to put my phone on the table here because if because he's he's the executive chair for 15 businesses yeah so yeah like like you don't have time off you don't have the you don't have the joy of he's like if something goes wrong with my businesses i need to fix it otherwise right. i'm going to switch my phone off i'm going to put it in my bag and then i'm going to be thinking about what could be happening yeah that's exactly right but whilst it's on the table i'm not worried yet but i'm raising a good point here we're actually talking about an elderly lady, yeah, who's having conversations with people that are not there, yeah? We're talking about her grandchildren having a conversation with people who are not in the room, okay? Yeah. And I consider that particularly rude. So what my dad has done is that he's actually observed this behaviour and he said, right, I want to just use my new phone, because he's going to get an iPhone, for... WhatsApp, because he's got three daughters in the States. Um, email, perhaps. Looking at the browser, so looking at websites for information, yeah. Text and phone calls, right? And that's what that's what he wants to then use. Then why is he getting an iPhone? Why doesn't he just get like a feature phone? What's the point of him getting an iPhone if that's all he wants to use it for? Well, because he feels secure with Apple, because it goes with his... Oh, because he knows. You see, he knows... He knows Okay. Yeah. So, so, and it's easier for seniors to use Apple, apparently. Yeah. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that we have to be very careful that we're not just digitally included to the point of digital inclusion. No, you're, you're right. And this is why I talk again about that wheel of competence. So, if you okay. think about the um, the DQ Institute's model, one of the competencies included in that model is screen time what is an appropriate amount of screen time that's one thing yeah. second thing is um being able to really manage your manage yourself online and i think that this is where many many models and this is partly one of the reasons why i started looking at digital inclusion because i saw so many different you know definitions of it and i see there's a lot of programs out there that you know go out and you know, teach kids to code or teach people to code. And they, they miss all of the other building blocks of what it means to be online, whether that's screen time, whether that's emotional intelligence, behavior, um, being able to decipher whether news is real or not, whether you should share that or not. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more than just having, you know, skills, if you will, to be able to make stuff. You know, it's the emotional stuff that goes along with that and how that affects your health and your well-being. Yeah, because it does. I mean, it does. It's the, the endorphins that we feel from when we receive messages are, you know, a small percentage of a hug, aren't they? I mean, it's the, the it's like a digital I guess it depends hug. on who's, I guess it depends well, on who's sending it to you and what they're sending. I mean, when you yeah, send me a message. it depends what they're saying, yeah. When you send me a message, it's a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Classic. So, 
digital inclusion, right, it involves managing. So first of all, it's like, okay, let's sum it up in really simple layman's terms, yeah? Access skills and utilization to drive outcomes. So moving from unconnected to connected to thriving. Okay, so I was looking at it slightly differently. I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of, first of all, integrating it within your life for what yeah, you want sure. it for what you want it to do so outcomes yeah yeah or thriving right it's all about purpose isn't it it's like what mm -hmm. what do you want to achieve and then you and sometimes you don't know what you want to achieve no. sometimes unless you have the skills and the you know like we don't know what we don't know sometimes you don't you know especially for someone who's been unconnected never seen a computer never worked on a computer before like right. you don't know what the hell you can do with it unless somebody empowers you or teaches you in you know, in a, an ethical and, you know, in an ethical fashion that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very risky because you can waste time. You can, you can, you can be stressed. You can get bullied. You can, there are all sorts of negative. Or, or, or even exploited. I mean, if you yeah, yeah. Like what's happening with, uh, you know, street kids in many parts of the world, there's a significant amount of exploitation and trafficking and all kinds of things that are, are going on, you know, thanks for or unthanks to the you know to the internet and yeah, well, I, was, technology. I agree i mean i was talking about that earlier with a gdpr expert like a security expert we were mm -hmm. talking about the safety of of children online actually and, yeah. and that is a huge thing it's it's absolutely massive and i think that i think that blockchain actually has the capabilities we have the capabilities to create solutions for this i mean i think i think gone are the days of oh we're not responsible what goes on on our platform i'm sorry there yeah, needs to be yeah, responsibility no, no time for that yeah no time for that yeah yeah well and i think you know where we've got some companies such as facebook that's looking at you know how do they monetize upon you know tracking where you are when you're not even using the platform and you know the latest you know privacy manifesto the latest privacy manifesto doesn't even mention anything about you know, tracking you when you're outside of their platform, if I'm not mistaken, um, which I think is uh, a really interesting concern. It's great to encrypt your data, but what are you tracking and how are you tracking it? And what are you gaining access to about me? Yeah. I mean, I'm one to, I, I want to talk because I'm definitely an overshare, you know, and I check in and I show where I'm traveling, right. you know, and I talk about what I'm doing. I post photos and I talk about my life, you know, so sometimes I feel like, you know, I know what's happening with my data, but yeah i know what you mean but it's but it's but what like, concerns me is people who don't know what's happening with their data and who wouldn't agree with what's happening with their data and you know they have no idea yeah no you idea. nailed it you nailed and it if they knew maybe they wouldn't be agreeing to the provisions because at the end of the day nothing's free you know, no people think that that facebook is free it's not free it's they all think about it's data free. and yeah. tracking yeah but there's a new network coming out called how do and it's a it's a it's a blockchain uh powered network and you actually are in control of all the data mm -hmm. and you get you get paid 50 percent of the ad revenue that goes through your account which is quite interesting i find that quite interesting that's really interesting i met with someone who uh started up another um, platform recently and i I'm, the name of the platform is escaping me and i don't think it was the same platform but i think that there are really um great you know devs and entrepreneurs out there thinking about you know, how can we create something similar yet different that allows people to, you know, gain their, you know, gain revenue to yeah. be 
in charge of their own data you know yeah i mean i think the, the way i look at it is when you create a problem you create a solution yeah that's how i look at it right it's a law right when there's a problem created there is a solution created at the same time mm -hmm. you might not know what it is yet but yeah. actually so i believe that there are many many solutions for all of these problems and i think dipping into digital inclusion will will create a whole whole new load of innovations and not just from silicon valley not from not just from seattle not just Very from true. london or the you know hubs that many people think about as technology yeah. hubs but yeah. i think there's so much innovation happening on the african continent whether that's oh, happening yeah. Nigeria or Kenya or North Africa or South Africa, but I've got some devs in my community. You know, I've got one individual who's in a refugee camp living in Malawi. I've got wow. you know a school in Cameroon, and they're just doing amazing things. You know, and also teaching others. I think you know, or you know, take that to Colombia, take that to you know Latin America. There are so many different hubs of innovation happening. I think there are interesting things that we're going to see coming from Pakistan, for example, from Vietnam, from countries that um, have not necessarily been on the radar for for individuals who might be so focused on innovation happening in Silicon Valley or Seattle. It's not just about what's happening in on the west coast of America. I know that right now, if you think about what you know, content looks like, you know, and it, it's swaying more toward English. I'd love to see, you know, scenarios where we have, you know, locally generated content in local languages, locally generated apps and services that are applicable in local communities. So not just about some entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, you know, bringing something to the world, but what are local entrepreneurs doing once they get connected and having the, you know, skills that they require to truly be you know, technology entrepreneurs that transform not just their communities, but the world. That's very interesting. I mean, I think with the capabilities of Translate now, like 200 plus languages, Microsoft, what's it called? I forget the platform. Then there's Google, isn't there? There are a number of platforms that can just translate chatbots into 200 plus yeah. languages. I mean, yeah, it's not that okay. amazing. They're it's okay. not, it's not. But I, think, but I don't think it's just about translating into local languages. I'm talking about locally generated content from right. a local person in their own language. Because I think when it's, you know, I love machine learning. I love artificial intelligence. And I think that there are great apps that are that are out there that will give you the basic understanding of what someone is saying or what something is saying. But it's not perfect. And no. it does require a human touch. And those machine learning applications or, or AIs that help you with translation are never gonna be perfect to catch those little nuances that are applicable from a, a cultural perspective. So it, it's, it, it'll get you a percentage of the way there. But um, then that, that, that opens up opportunities itself for translators who are translating that into different, different news stories globally. I mean, I, I think there's opportunity everywhere really. It's quite exciting, actually, if you think about right. it. Everything happens, always opportunity, especially in Barcelona. I love Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, right? Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Well, it's been a joy and very interesting conversation. Really appreciate it. And I am sure that we will speak soon. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I hope, uh, I hope uh, it was both insightful and empowering. And I'm going to get back to my wine. Yeah, I'm going to get back to my editing. I've still got a load of work to do. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or 
wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.